0: Thank you, Dan. Uh, good morning, everyone. Good, good to be together, welcome. Um, just before I begin, um, I need a few helpers. I need three helpers, could, could be younger, don't have to be. They're just gonna come and, uh, come and do some activities at the front. Isaac. Two more. Yes. And yes. Okay, could you each take a seat at this table? Um, and while I'm teaching everybody, I've got a little job that I would like you guys to do. Uh, let me explain. I had a bit of an accident in my kitchen, Isaac. Um, so my rice has got all mixed in with my sugar, and I don't have a sieve. So I was wondering if you could sort it out for me. You'll need to pick up each rice grain, one by one, and make sure that it doesn't have any sugar on it, and then move it into that bowl, okay? Amos, you might have been able to guess what I would like you to do. Can you solve that Rubik's Cube? Uh, Kiva, could you please make a pyramid out of those cards? So you'll need to get two cards, do them in rows like this, put a layer of cards on the top, do them in rows like this, okay? If it goes a little bit wrong, don't worry. If any of you finish your activities while I'm still talking, you could just sit there and watch, okay? And we'll come and see how you're getting on. In a minute. Excellent. Um, Now they've got started. I would like to introduce you to someone special we have this morning. Uh, Someone who's written a book for us. Uh, It's a book in our Bibles. Uh, It's a book called Ecclesiastes. And it's a book that we're going to be learning from as a church over the next month. Uh, Before we meet this person, I have a picture of them. There they are. Um, Looks pretty important. Any guesses who this might be? A king. Okay. Certainly, uh, yeah, certainly looks like it could be a king. Uh, friend, could you come and join us, please? Here we go. It is a king. Come and stand here for us, Your Majesty. Um, and our friend starts this, this special book by introducing themselves. So if you want to come up to the microphone, and off we go words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Thank you. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. So this is the king of God's people. The king who lives in Jerusalem, the son of David, the one who beat Goliath, who God made king, who God promised an even greater king would follow after. This is the son of David, the king. Wow. Sounds like a pretty important person. I wonder what this person has to say. I wonder what this person might have written in their book for us. Maybe something about how uh, amazing and glorious and incredible God is. Or something about how God rescued a people for himself. Abraham, Moses, the Exodus, the promised land. Or something about how wonderful it is to be part of God's people. Um, Let's see uh, what this king has to say. I'm going to read you one more verse. I'll give you one more bit to read, King. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Sorry, what? Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Well, surely that's not what we're expecting the King of God's people to say. Meaningless. Well, what are we supposed to do with that? Thank you, Your Majesty. You can go and sit down. Well, this this king, this teacher, is saying that life is a bit like this. That's what the Hebrew word translated as meaningless in our Bibles means. It means breath. Life is a bit like this. It's the same word that David uses in Psalm 39, verse 5. You've made my days a mere hand-breath. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Isaiah uses this word in chapter 57, verse 13. When you cry out for help, let your collection of idols save you. The wind will carry them all off, A mere breath will blow them away. Our lives, says this king, are like this. A breath. You blow out of your mouth. Hangs in the air for a moment, and then it's gone. To help us to think about how short this is. I'd like you all, uh, if you're in Oak as well, to have a look under your chairs. As some of you might find something, sellotape to the bottom of your chair. If Maya, help her, has done her job. If you don't like loud noises, you might want to, might want to leave the room for this bit. We're gonna have a go at doing it all at the same time. I'm gonna count to three, and then if you've got a party blower, you can blow, ready? One, two, three. Thank you. Okay, uh, pop them down. Maybe if you're a child, pop them to the nearest adult for safekeeping. That's it. That's it. Our lives. If you're a child, pop them to an adult for safekeeping. (laughs) Our lives, says the king, and everything in them are like a breath. You blow it out of your mouth. It's there for a moment, just a few seconds, and then it's gone. But maybe that, that sounds a bit strange. I mean, our lives aren't short, they're long. But as we think about this a little more, I think it rings true. Think of the party that you waited months and months for, and almost as soon as it started, it was all over. Think of the snowdrops already springing up, when a couple of weeks ago it seemed like winter would last forever. Think of the holiday that you spent half the year saving up for and dreaming of, and then it passes in the blink of an eye. Think of the child who a moment ago was a babe in your arms and in a few months' time is going off to college. Our lives, or at least the good bits, so often seem so short, they pass so quickly. And the teacher goes on. The next thing he says um, is a question. What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? Or as another translation puts it, What do people get for all their hard work? You work, and you work, and you work, and you work, and what do you get for it? What do you really achieve? You learn all your spellings at home, and then the teacher doesn't do the spelling test. You pour hours into practicing cartwheels, and then someone else gets picked for the gymnastics team. You slave away over a project, then your grade is um, lower than it was the last time. Hours after you put away the last clean piece of laundry, the washing basket's full again. You visit your elderly aunt week in, week out. She doesn't remember from week to week that you've even been. You see your children in town with their friends after school, but they look away and pretend they haven't seen you. You save up for a new TV only to have to spend it on your increased gas bill. You work tirelessly to impress your boss, to serve your clients, to help your colleagues, to honour God. And you get praised. You get a pay rise. You get a promotion. But it just opens the door into a whole new world of stress. You work, and you work, and you work, and you work. And what do you really achieve? The teacher doesn't answer his question. He doesn't need to. We know the answer. So often, you achieve nothing. At least nothing that really satisfies, nothing of real value. We're going to stop there for now. Hopefully some better news will come a little later. Uh, But before we sing a song together, I thought we might just check in and see how our young people are getting on with their jobs. Isaac, how's the rice looking? We made a start. We've got a few greens in there. Thank very much. Nice. Let's have a look at this Rubik's Cube. How are we getting on? Okay, working. You have to restart. Work in progress. I can see you've got halfway there on a few of the sides. And how about our uh, Tower of Cards? Trickier than it sounds, isn't it? Well done. Thank you, you guys. Come and sit down. Let's give them a little clap. It was a bit of a depressing start to the teacher's book. Our lives are just like a breath. We work and we work and we work, as these three children did, and so often we get nothing. In the next eight verses of Ecclesiastes chapter one, uh, this teacher, this king, gives us a poem. Uh, Let me read it to you now. You're welcome to follow along. Ecclesiastes chapter one from verse four. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, and the sun sets, and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south, and turns to the north, round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything? of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Um, Okay, do you really need to tell me now, Nate? Okay, okay, come up here if you really need to tell us this. So what would you like to tell us, next?
1: Well, I just wanted to check. Did you see what happened this morning? Um... In the sky? Did you see what's happened in the sky?
0: Did something unusual happen in the
1: sky? Didn't you see? Well, it was all dark. I couldn't see a thing. Then suddenly, this weird yellow shape appeared from the land, right on the horizon. At first, it looked just like a curve, then it grew into the semicircle, then it turned into a whole circle, and then it left the land and started going up into the sky. And you'll never guess what happened. It made the whole sky light up. It was incredible. It made the whole sky go from darkness to light, and suddenly, I could see everything. I can't believe you didn't notice it. Do
0: You mean that the sun came up?
1: Yes, 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 that's it. I knew I'd heard a name for it somewhere.
0: You know, Nate, that that happens every day, don't you? Really?
1: Every day? Are you sure?
0: I'm pretty sure.
1: Well, that's just incredible. <laughs> I'm not sure
0: Nate should have been that surprised. Because we all know, don't we, however young we are, that the sun rises and the sun sets every single day. Just like the wind blows to the north, and then it will blow to the south. Just like the rain falls in the mountains, flows down into the rivers, ends up in the sea, then gets evaporated into the clouds, blown to the mountains, and pours down again in the mountains as rain. The cycle of creation never really ends. It's on repeat. The sun does the same thing. The winds and the rains do the same thing. The seas are always being filled, but never get full. Creation carries on going round and round and round and round through all of history. And humanity too, this king tells us. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. Today's grandparents were the mums and dads of 25 years ago, the grandchildren of 50 years ago. Today's children will, God willing, be the mums and dads of the 2040s, the grannies and granddads of the 2070s. People come and people go. They're born, they grow up, they grow old, they die. And the next generation replaces them. Just like the sun journeying through the sky and then hurrying back to start again. And just as, verse 7, all streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full, so, verse 8, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. Just as the sea never fills up, so we are never truly full, never truly satisfied. We too go round and round and round again. New jobs, new hobbies, new homes, new looks, new relationships, new possessions, new causes, new perspectives, new hopes and dreams, but nothing is ever enough. We never think, great, I've mastered life, I've got everything I wanted, I'm happy now. There's always something more. Always a new iPhone update, always a new way to protect the environment, and always that same hunger in our bellies for more. We're never truly satisfied. Our hunt for newer, bigger, better never ends. As the teacher well knows, verse 9, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. Kate Bush is uh, running up that hill. It's apparently the sixth biggest selling song of 2022 in the end. It was, of course, first released in 1985. Last year, vinyl sales outsold CDs, replacing one of the formats that replaced them about 30 years ago. And apparently, uh, in the Netherlands in the 16th century, young people passed around Alba Amicorum, which is Latin for friends' books, where they recorded information and gossip about friends and shared jokes and song lyrics and political opinions. Remind you of anything. There's nothing truly new, says this teacher. There's nothing new under the sun. And then finally, verse 11 brings us back round to where we began in verse 4. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Generations come and the generations go. But what does that mean for you and me? But it means that we're here, and then we're gone. Just like that. Our lives a breath. Our children, our nieces and nephews will remember us. Our grandchildren will remember us. Maybe even we'll have great-grandchildren who will remember us, or at least know who we were. But we'll soon be forgotten. And so will our children, our nieces, our nephews, our grandchildren after us. Very few of us will make any lasting impact upon this world. We work, and we work, and we work, and we work. But most, if not all of us, will make very little difference at all to this earth. The world will keep turning, whether we're on it or not. This is where the teachers brought us to, by the end of Ecclesiastes 1, verse 11. It's not a happy place, but fortunately it's not the end of the story. We're going to sing a... uh, Uh, A song that helps us to explore the fact that we simply do not know what God is doing and why. Our lives and everything in them are like a breath. You work and you work and you work and you work and so often you get nothing. There's nothing truly new and we're never truly satisfied. So what are we to do with life? If this is what it's like, is it really worth getting out of bed in the morning? Let's read what the teacher says next from verse 12. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. So the teacher, it could be Solomon himself, the physical son of David. Possibly someone writing in character as Solomon, a Solomon-like king. Well, the teacher tells us in verse 12 his plan. What he decided to do. He resolved to try to get to the bottom of life to try to make sense of the world as best he could, to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. And he chose to use wisdom as his magnifying glass, what better tool? And Ecclesiastes, this book in our Bibles, is the result. His thesis, his evaluation of life. But he reminds us, even here again in this introduction, but he's already told us the outcome. Verse fourteen: I have seen all the things that are done under the sun; all of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Meaningless. But he adds in a new image there. Um, I wonder if someone could come and help us explore it. I Have one more volunteer, Sophia. I'm not the world's um, greatest balloon blower, but hopefully I'm going to bl- blow at this balloon, Sophia. I'm not going to tie it, I'm just going to let it go. But could you please catch the wind that comes out of it? Okay, you ready? That'll do. Ready? You're going to catch the wind. Did you get it? Show us your hands. No. All right, thank you, Sophia. Do you want to uh, grab it? And then go sit down. Thank you. Um, chasing after the wind, the teacher says. That's what life's like. It's like chasing after the wind. And chasing after the wind, as we've just seen Sophia attempt, is pointless. It's futile. It's impossible. It's a complete waste of time. Try as you might. You'll never be able to catch hold of the wind. A dog would stand a better chance of catching its own tail. But there was a little glimmer of hope in those verses, I think. Two glimmers, in fact, both in verse 13. Verse 13 I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. The teacher studied all that is done under the heavens. So maybe the um, the everything, in verse 2's everything is meaningless, doesn't quite mean everything. Maybe the narrator's view there is a little narrower, because in verse 13 we learn that he's speaking of everything that is done under the heavens. Or verse 3, everything that is done under the sun. That phrase, under the sun, is going to be a key one in this book. It will come up again and again and again. But the teacher doesn't seem to actually have the whole of creation in view at this point, the whole of existence. He's studying something a little narrower. He's studying this life, the here and now. Life under the heavens, life under the sun. And for those of us who are believers, we know that there is far more than just what lies under the sun, this life, the here and now. We know that there is life beyond the sun, above the endless repeating cycle of this created earth. Life under the sun is not all there is. It's just a little clue here from this king to look up. The second glimmer of hope in verse 13. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. We get a mention of God here in verse 13 for the first time in the book. What does the teacher say about God? That he has laid a burden on us. He has laid this burden on us. As another translation puts it, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. God has given us human beings this way of living. It's from him. He's not absent from this meaningless world, nor is he a distant observer yelling from the sidelines, but unable to intervene or change anything. God has given us human beings this kind of a life. Hard as that may be to understand, it is part of his good, kind, sovereign plan that this is our experience of life in this now fallen world. Paul picks up on this theme in Romans chapter 8. He writes, the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. As we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Because this life under the sun, it doesn't just describe the life of the, the unbeliever, the person who's living for this world and this world only. It's, it's the life of the human. Life under the sun. The teacher's words ring true with everyone's experience of life, whether we follow Jesus or not. And it doesn't take us long to realize that as we tap the traffic light button, even though it's already flashing weight. As we hit refresh on our messages, even though we know it, we need, there'll be a notification when a new one comes through. As we press the lock button again on our car keys, even though we've already locked the car. As we surf Netflix or iPlayer for 10 minutes and then just put friends on anyway. It doesn't take us long to realize that this life under the sun is our life too. It's the life of every human being. For God doesn't promise to bring us escape, at least not immediate escape, or to grant us immunity, a vaccine from fallen world living when he calls us to follow him. In fact, it's almost the opposite way around. Rather than taking us out of this fallen, futile world, He entered it. The eternal Son of God was made flesh. He became a human being with all the frustration, futility, pointlessness that human life entails. He became a human being who would shake off a cold only to develop a cough. He would scrub between his toes only for them to be caked in dust again as soon as he left the house. He would squint under the rays of the sun, breaking his back under its heat, digging up vegetables to eat, only to discover that they were rotten inside. God doesn't take us out of this fallen, futile world; he entered it. He came and lived life under the sun, with us, and that means that he is far better equipped than this solemn like King, to guide us through this life here and now. His advice about how to live well under the sun, how to give up chasing the wind, how to live for what really matters, doesn't come from study, from observation alone. It comes from lived experience. It comes from the one who came and lived in the world and who overcame it. John 16, verse 33. Let's pause. And then I'll lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you for the honesty of this book. We thank you that we don't have to pretend that life is always clear-cut, steadily progressing, giving us what we want, what we work for, what we hope for. Thank you that we can acknowledge that our lives are but a breath. They are meaningless. That we are never satisfied. That so often we are left empty. And we thank you that in Jesus we have a saviour who does not take us out of this world, but who came and lived in it with us. Who is fully human. was one of us. Help us in the weeks to come as we seek to lift our eyes above the sun, as we look to this King's teaching and all the more to our Saviour's teaching. Help us to know the blessing of following the one who has overcome death and who reigns forever as the source of all wisdom. Amen.